Welcome to the Burnett Breakdown, where I, Hunter Burnett, keep up with the news so that you don't have to. This week's podcast is going to be a little different. I asked my friend Noah, who works at a large bank in Atlanta doing equity research in the oil and gas industry, to come on the podcast to talk about energy prices and oil, since those that has been in the news so much this week. And so that interview will take the bulk of this podcast and will follow very shortly after these uh, kind of quick hits at the beginning here. This week, we got more economic data in terms of inflation. So the uh, Consumer Price Index came out with their number for inflation this month, and uh, it was a 7.9% annual rate in the month of February. So that is another four-decade high. So the last time that inflation was this high was in January of 1982. And at that time, the nation was in a recession and was actually coming out of double-digit inflation. So that was actually a good number back then. But it shows you how high we are now in terms of inflation. Uh, This was largely led to the same things that we have been talking about. It is supply chain. It is a tight labor market. And then this uh, month in particular, you have higher oil and uh, commodity prices. Um, so this uh, and this oil prices, as we'll talk about in a second with the interview with Noah, uh, are really going to continue to drive this uh, uh, inflation number higher as everything in, is in the economy needs uh, to use oil or gas or energy in some capacity. And what's also going to be something to look forward to or look ahead to as we continue to observe inflation is going to be the role that the Russian invasion of Ukraine has on global supply chains. Uh, So that is now a big concern, uh, and not just supply chains really, but commodity prices in general. Russia is a huge supplier of certain precious uh, minerals, and then Ukraine is a huge supplier of grain in the world. And so uh, how how is that going to impact future? numbers is going to be a new aspect of inflation that we haven't necessarily talked about yet, but we will have to observe moving forward. In other news, the Senate voted 68 to 31 on Thursday night to pass a $1.5 trillion a spending package that will fund the federal government through September once it is expected to be signed into law by President Joe Biden. This spending package was uh, 2,700 pages long and includes all sorts of spending for all sorts of things. So one thing that I, when it comes to government spending, I think the government spends way too much money. Okay, It is absurd how much money they spend. And uh, I hate these kind of thousand page omnibus packages because no one has time to read them, no one has time to understand them, and no one has time to think about the consequences of possibly uh, passing it into law. There's one thing that I could do. Maybe it's a constitutional amendment or what. I would set a limit on exactly how many pages, the font size so that they can't, you know, get too uh, creative. I would mandate that everything passed has to fit within like 10 pages at 12 times New Roman font just so that they cannot pass this huge amount of uh, spending and packages, omnibus packages, with no one reading them. So they would have to individually vote on like 10 pages worth of stuff at a time, which would be really annoying for them and would kind of force them to consider what they're actually spending money on and just instead of just saying, yes, sure, 2,000 plus pages worth of stuff, I'll sign up for that. Okay, so the, again, uh, the, the government will be funded uh, through September if when Joe Biden uh, signs us into office. And yet again, the uh, government is spending way too much on everything.
In some more lighthearted news, Major League Baseball team owners and the Players Union agreed to sign a new labor contract. So now uh, there will be baseball this year. Uh, Opening day is set for April 7th. Spring training will start almost immediately. And uh, there will be a huge frenzy of free agents that will sign here in a little bit. I cannot wait for this. I love baseball. Cannot wait to watch the defending Atlanta Braves, uh, defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves play again. So if you're a, a baseball fan, this is huge news and will give us something to watch this uh, this summer. And then finally, an update on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So uh, the United States announced, Joe Biden announced that they there would be a ban on the import uh, of Russian oil and gas. Uh, this, uh, I mentioned it in the interview with Noah, so I'll let him kind of talk about the economic impacts of this. Uh, but he was basically, uh, Joe Biden was basically put into a corner by Congress. Uh, they were demanding that uh, if he wasn't going to do something, they were, they were going to. And so, uh, like I said, uh, I'll let you listen to the interview to, to figure out the economic impacts of all that. Uh, in terms of the war itself or the invasion, uh, Russia is continuing to uh, attack, to uh, assault, to um put uh, rockets and missiles and um, everything they have essentially into uh, Ukrainian cities. Uh, they are they have destroyed hospitals. There's uh, just gruesome and horrifying images of them just destroying a maternity hospital. And there's uh, pictures of pregnant women being uh, carried out on stretchers. And I mean, it is just horrific stuff that the Russians are doing right now in Ukraine. Uh, I will be, um, again, I have said that uh, the United States and NATO is unlikely to get involved, but I will say that if these kinds of images continue to pour out, I wouldn't be surprised if you hear more of a demand and a push to get more involved, because at this point, it's not just the Ukrainians fighting for sovereignty. At this point, it is a humanitarian crisis. The Ukraine still control uh, major cities, but this, but they are at the cost in which they are incurring right now is unfathomable. That's not to say that there for sure will be demand. I mean, the Russians did just horrific stuff in uh, Syria during the Sil- Syrian civil war and, and when they got involved in 2014, and there was not much outcry about it then. But this situation does seem a little different. Um, so just continue to watch that. Continue to pray for the people of Ukraine. I mean, like I said, it is horrific stuff that is happening at this point. Uh, there's one city uh, m- that is surrounded they're not they have no more you know food and water this is being brought in and they are just being bombarded day in and day out by russian assaults and so uh let's just keep uh, paying attention there uh and keep like i said praying for ukraine and with that now it is time for my interview with noah i hope you enjoy this thank you again for noah for coming on and, and giving us some perspective and explaining uh some these why oil oil prices and gas prices are so high right now and, and what we can expect uh, in the future all right, Noah, tell the people what you do. Yeah, so uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm a longtime listener, uh, first time uh, speaker. Um, and uh, I work for a, a large bank in Atlanta covering um, uh, midstream and uh, alternative energy stocks. So we, we do a lot with oil and gas pipeline companies and um, you know, oil prices have been a, a hot topic uh, over the past few months here. Yeah, so that's pretty much why I wanted to have you on. I mean, obviously, uh, oil's been in the news recently uh, for the last few weeks, but this past week in particular with uh, oil hitting an all-time high, uh, going back all the way to 2008 was the last time that it was, oil was had reached this these heights. So 
Uh, I'll just you know start off with a simple basic. Why is oil going up? Yeah, um, so many reasons. Um, and let's go back to uh, 2020 when the pandemic happened. Oil prices went negative um, for the first time ever. It was very shocking. Um, and really because of that, uh, many uh, oil production or producers went bankrupt and um, either slowed production or shut production almost entirely. And so if you look at rig counts um, in the US, there was about 700 rig counts in February um, before the pandemic. Currently, um, and by June, there's a down to 200. So it had fallen by 500. Today, we sit around 500 rigs. So we're still below pre-pandemic levels of production. And um, so that's one reason is the US has not fully recovered in terms of oil production. The other thing is, um, OPEC has been very slow to increase production. And mainly it's because uh, a lot of the producing countries within OPEC are having trouble. Like they do not have the capacity right now. Saudi Arabia is one of the few countries that does um, within OPEC, but they do not want to single-handedly be the, uh, the sole reason that they are increasing production. Gotcha. So how high can oil go? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a good question. Um, and I think it's, it's certainly, I don't know if there's a definite answer. I mean, I've seen some analysts come out and say that if you get to 200, uh, $200 a barrel, I, I certainly, um, I don't think that's possible unless the EU decides to ban uh, imports of uh, Russian oil, um, which I don't think that's, that's likely. So the other thing is, um, you know, this could go, this could go down, oil prices could go down very quickly as well. If, for, for example, we sign a deal with Iran um, and Venezuela to where we um, allow them to start uh, exporting oil back to the market. They are currently excluded by U.S. sanctions. And um, if, if we allow them back in, given the current environment, um, yeah, it, it could definitely, oil could go a lot, a lot lower very quickly. So I'll get to Russia in a second, but I, I mean, in the news recently, there, there was, you mentioned Venezuela and the potential, uh, there was, I, I believe the U.S. met with some Venezuela representatives to discuss whether uh, they can get back on the market. And I mean, I know the, the Venezuelan oil company or industry was booming at one point, you know, decade ago or so, um, but that has recently tanked. Do you know, I mean, you may not know the answer to this, but do you know if they could, uh, if they're in the the shape to start exporting oil. I mean, I'd imagine with a collapse of an oil industry like they've had, a pretty significant one, that just, you know, kind of getting an oil uh, industry back up and running would be difficult. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I agree. I think you would probably, it wouldn't be immediate, that's for sure. Um, I mean, look at what happened in the U.S., right? You, we had a booming oil industry pre-pandemic and collapsed very fast. It, it's taken a year to not even get back to where we were at before the pandemic. So, yeah, I think, it, I think at least a year before they start meaningfully contributing. Um, and that's one of the issues with, with how bad uh, things are is the, a lot of the solutions will not have immediate effects uh, to increasing oil production. And so prices are, are likely to, to stay elevated, at least for, you know, I mean, at least for an extended period of time. I mean, I don't know, a, a year, 
could be less if um, if the war were to stop quicker than people expect. But uh, things are things are looking like oil is going to be pretty high for a while. So you brought up Russia. What does Russia have to do with oil prices in the United States or in the, in the world in general? Yeah. So so they are pretty big uh, exporters of oil and natural gas. So um, the difference between the two, natural gas is you know. It comes as a byproduct of oil production. Natural gas, though, is used not in your car, as you might think. That's gasoline. Um, natural gas is used to heat homes. Um, it's used to um, power natural gas plants, to power, um, to give electricity to, to the grid. Um, and in the EU, uh, they import about 41% of the natural gas they use um, to power homes or, or in any sort of consumption is imported from Russia. And about 30% of oil they, they consume is imported from Russia. So pretty big um, numbers. And basically, if you take away that uh, importing of, of Russian oil and natural gas, there is nothing that could immediately fill that gap. Um, it's about 16 BCF per day. And in terms, I mean, that is like billion cubic feet um, if you look at like the U.S., they're currently building more of these liquefaction plants, which have which would give capacity to transport liquefied natural gas to like Europe or other countries. Um, and there is about seven BCF under construction. But so even if those all finished, you know, all those projects finished by next year, there's just simply that would still leave. I mean, like over half of uh, the gap that other other producers would have to fill, which is just not possible to do to, to to fill that gap that quickly. So, and they need it. Like, you know, if if you got if you stopped importing natural gas from Russia, you wouldn't have power to your house uh, if you lived in Europe. So, um, and what's happening is, well, I mean, Russia is obviously invading Ukraine, and people are trying to come up with sanctions to where it hurts them, but. You can hurt Russia really badly if you do that, but at the same time, you'd hurt Europe probably just as badly. So uh, I know that the European uh, Union or Europe in general is heavily reliant on natural gas and oil, like you just said, from Russia. Um, but uh, America uh, just this week announced that they were uh, banning the imports of uh, Russian oil. So what kind of impact will that have on America and how immediate will that take effect like will that happen you know are we already done importing from russia or do you know if that's kind of a delayed give you you know a week or something like that yeah i um first of all i think the the impact it'll have on the u.s is very minimal um we basically we import um oil from russia for because of the type of grade it is so basically the, when you think of oil production based on the basin that is produced from you either have like a light, um, a light sweet crude oil, a medium grade, and then like a heavy grade. Um, Russia is known for this medium grade oil that they produce. Um, in the U.S., at least in like the Permian, which is like Texas, um, they produce a very light oil. Um, it's a little more expensive, which why the U.S. Is, has been a very hot spot for, for oil production, um, particularly in the Permian. Um, but these, uh, a lot of the refineries, they import Russian oil because 
um, they're the equipment they use to refine oil into gasoline, into jet fuel, um, is uh, built for a heavier grade. It wasn't built for all this Permian light crude oil. And so basically they import Russian, uh, like a, the heavier Russian oil, and they blend it with the Permian crude. And uh, that makes it to where their, their refineries run a lot smoother. They're a lot more efficient. Um, but if we were, like, since we banned it, there are plenty of other sources of this medium uh, uh, grade uh, crude oil. Um, for example, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, right? We, you could drill, drill underwater there, um, which we already do. We could increase production there. Eastern Canada, uh, Mexico is another place. Um, and the only real issue is particularly if with the Gulf of Mexico and with other places is that the, uh, it's probably just going to be more expensive. Shipping, um, particularly, yeah, with the Gulf of Mexico, you have to use Jones Act tankers to ship it elsewhere in the U.S. And that, that causes uh, uh, prices to, to be higher. So it's not going to have a huge impact because there are other sources that could immediately provide. And I don't know the timing. I would assume, though, because um, I, I think you know, the policymakers hopefully would know that the impact isn't that big. They probably wouldn't give that much time to say, hey, you know, let's stop importing uh, Russian oil because there are so many other sources and it wouldn't be a big deal for the U.S. Yeah, and I just want to kind of give a brief summation of the Jones Act because this is one of those things that drives me crazy. Uh, so I could have some of the details wrong, but essentially it was passed in like the 1880s. And it's it basically says that if a a ship is going from an American port to another American port, then it has to be made with, is it completely American made or is it largely or mostly American made? It's, it's one of the largely, two. it's largely, yeah. So this is why cruise ships that uh, go to uh, Alaska from like uh, Seattle stopped in Canada because then it's not a port, American port to American port. So essentially and, and American made uh, or largely American-made uh, ships are more expensive. And so this Jones Act, uh, it, it makes the entire um, trading more expensive because of this act that was passed in the 1880s yep. to protect essentially like a, a shipping industry company. And, and, yeah, and there's very few uh, Jones Act uh, tankers. Like that's what would be required. Um, the other alternative is rail though. And so like railroad companies should also benefit from... Uh, from this uh, Russian ban on uh, on uh, on oil. So, what kind of um, economic impact will these uh, high oil prices have? So, uh, you've mentioned that you think that they're going to be elevated for at least, you know, a, a year, we'll say, or so. Um, so, what kind of you know impact are we seeing now, and what kind of impact, if this the longer this uh, goes on, can we expect to see? Certainly, it is a contributor to uh, higher inflation. The the Fed and really the other government agencies like to use uh, what they call core inflation, and that excludes energy and uh, and food prices because they think they're pretty volatile, and clearly they are. But um, you can't ignore the fact that you know, people are spending probably twice as much at the pump as they were um, just two years ago, right? Um, and I mean, the effect really would be more, most significant on low-income earners. Uh, these people tend to have jobs where they drive more um, and, and uh, spending on gas is uh, a higher percent of their, of their 
you know, weekly spend. And, and so this would certainly impact and the most lead to lower consumer spending in general. Um, and, you know, it depends on how long it lasts, but certainly people would be, you know, more likely to cancel trips uh, and, and just lower uh, their spending in general because they, they have focused so much now, or they have to spend so much now on, on gas. Right. And, and I know that in the 1970s, gas was a large reason for stagflation that we got where, you know, everything's elevated in price because of, you know, energy is so expensive. Um, but it also uh, tampens uh, on economic demand. And so uh, yeah. the economy is not growing, but it's also the prices aren't necessarily going down because energy continues to go up. So um, yeah. I, I meant to, to ask you this uh, earlier, but I, I can ask it now. So is there anything that say Joe Biden can do? Um, is there, are there policies that he has put in place that uh, are responsible for this? Are there, is there any policies that he could put in place, put in place moving forward that would help alleviate some of these uh, price increases? Um, so that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I'd say, I'd say pretty much no. Uh, so they have these, we have um, the strategic petroleum reserves, um, I believe is what they're called. And basically um, earlier, I think uh, at the end of uh, 2021, Biden released uh, 50 million barrels of oil from that. Um, essentially that was, I think less than what we produce in a single day. So uh, I, I think if you look at gas prices, uh, he posted, or somebody from his team posted a, a picture of gas prices going down like 12 cents, um, you know, over that, like, you know, week that he did it. And, uh, well, since then, you know, they probably got up $2. So I don't think anybody's going to be posting a picture from his uh, campaign. But, and so they could do another release of that. I think the effect would, again, be pretty much nothing. Um, the other thing is they can't really force uh oil companies to produce more oil like they have no say in that whatsoever and the other thing is i don't think many oil companies are um purposefully leaving production flat or not really increasing right now i will say they are being more hesitant i mean if you look at the past decade for oil companies they've they've gone only down um and high prices uh, tend to cause a lot more increases in production, right? Which immediately the companies uh, add more debt to increase production and immediately oil prices tend to, to turn, turn the other way as soon as uh, production increases. And these guys get, um, get, uh, get the short end of the stick, I guess, in terms of uh, a lot of them struggle once, once oil prices go. So they are really waiting to see are these highs oil prices stable? Will they be around? And can we increase production to where we can actually benefit from these higher prices? Or, you know, as in the past, if we increase production, oil prices go negative or go down. I mean, look at 08. Oil prices were at $145 a barrel um, in June of 08. By the end of the year, they fell to $36 a barrel. I'll tell you, a lot of basins Every basin is profitable. You can produce oil out of any basin in the U.S. It's profitable at $145 a barrel. At 36, there's probably one or two basins that you can produce oil out of that are profitable. 
So nobody wants nobody wants that to happen um, in the U.S. Uh, the other thing I'll say for Biden's defense, though, is I don't think any of this is actually Biden's fault. I don't think he sure you had the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline, um, which you know would have helped uh, with crude going into the U.S. Um, from Canada. But and then you also had the uh, moratorium on federal leasing permits uh, and so our federal land permits. So basically like the Gulf of Mexico and then also the state of New Mexico, there's they, the federal, the government has these auctions where they sell permits for companies to drill on these, these lands. Um, you know, one thing is that Biden has actually been, the administration has actually been bragging that they've actually sold, even with the moratorium, they've actually sold more of these permits in, their, in the first year of the Biden administration than Trump did in his three years, like on average, right? Like a three-year annual average. Um, and so that has had pretty much no effect on these sales. I think because Biden realized the, the, uh, the struggle that was about to, about to happen with oil production being so low. Um, and so. I mean, people saying it's his fault, I think, are, are, are certainly in the wrong. It's, I don't think it's his fault, but he hasn't done anything to, uh, to offset it either. So, right. I mean, if nothing else, closing a pipeline and then this happening just is bad optics. Um, I yes, want to go back to exactly. I want to go back to something that you mentioned about uh, these oil companies being uh, hesitant to increase production, because that's a really uh, important point that if you haven't been following the oil industry, you may not know, but like you mentioned, they've only gone down. And so that has, and, and have been uh, uh, taken some heat for a while now about having too much debt and being, being too aggressive. And now they're having to pay down debt, you know? And so they were kind of stuck in a really rough situation. So you can see that they're kind of scarred from that. And because of that, usually high prices serve as an incentive to increase not just production in oil, but in any uh, market uh, activity of, you know, people flock to those uh, high prices in order to kind of take advantage of it. But you're not necessarily saying that. That's not to say we won't, but like right now, like you said, they're just hesitant because they don't want to get in the same situation that they were in all of the 2010s. Exactly. And and yet part of the big reason is because they are not trying to increase leverage. If they wanted to increase production, um, they'd have to raise debt to do it. And um, you know, banks have been very hesitant to lend to oil companies, partly because of the the whole ESG kind of look. Um, banks are trying to, to get away from, uh, oil companies in general. Um, and yeah, and shareholders, um, are certainly not wanting, uh, oil companies to lever up, to do this, uh, to increase production. They enjoy, um, receiving a high dividend and, um, and share buybacks as a, a way to get returns. And they don't want to see their company, their, their stock, the shares they own, the company lever up. And um, when oil prices fall, as they eventually will, um, you know, that company is now uh, in trouble again. And nobody, nobody wants that. So they are, yeah, they're certainly being hesitant right now and understandably so. So say that they want to ramp up production, that these prices stay elevated. How quickly can they ramp up production? Because I would assume if they start ramping up production, eventually that, that price is going to go down. So how quickly, if they decide tomorrow they're going to ramp up production, how, how quickly will that happen? Yeah, that's, it, it's, a, it's a great question. Some quicker than others. Um, so for one company in the, the Bakken, 
they are able to um, basically, even if they wanted to increase production um, as quickly as possible, they couldn't until the end of this year. That's directly from management. Um, and simply because I think capital takes time, you have to drill the well, you have to then add rigs to the well. Um, it, it's not a, you know, a quick process. Um, but in other basins where there are wells available with no rigs uh, or not as many rigs active on it, then sure, they could, they could increase production uh, pretty quickly. But I think we've seen that. We've seen production increase. Um, and it's just with the less amount of oil companies that there are today versus pre-pandemic because of bankruptcies um, and, and maybe consolidation as well, you, you basically, it's just it's going to take longer. So I'd say if, if there was a big push to increase production, we probably wouldn't see large increases until, um, until the end of the year, um, you know, based on, based on what, what management has said at, at that one company in the Bakken, but also in, in other bases as well. Well, awesome. Is there anything else that we should know about uh, oil? Um, no, no, I think, uh, I think we got the gist of it. Uh, you know, I, high gas prices are probably going to be here a while, uh, unfortunately. But uh, we'll see. I mean, yeah, as I said, 08, prices changed very quickly. Um, but also that was uh, the cause of a, uh, well, that was the effect of a massive recession. And we don't, we don't want that to happen. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully we could have lower oil prices with, without going into a recession. That'd be great. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, Noah. Hopefully uh, I, I won't have you back on because oil prices won't be in the news anymore because they'll, they'll be lower. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, you know, I'd love to be back. You know, we could talk about the Fed, whatever. And I'd, I'd be happy to come on anytime. But always, I enjoy listening. You're the best. All right. Thank you again to Noah for coming on. I hope that you enjoyed that. Uh, some takeaways is just that uh, gas prices and oil prices are likely to remain elevated, at least through the end of the year. Uh, we'll see about production, keeping an eye on that and uh, how quickly uh, companies can get that production up and running and whether they're able or willing to uh, with their hesitancy. Um, and with that, that is the end of the podcast. Thank you again to Noah. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, please like, subscribe, share, and do whatever you can to make this podcast go far and wide. And I hope that you will return again again next week.